Washington Phillips was a farmer, amateur preacher, and musician who released a handful of 78s in the late 20s. Today we're taking a look at the compilation Washington Phillips and his Manzarine Dream. Jake, I got a question for you. Alrighty, I'm here. My question is, what is a manzarine? Oh, Is it okay. A, a variety of small citrus fruit that Phillips grew on his farm? <laughs> Sounds delicious. B, a citizen of Manzar County, Texas, where okay. Phillips was from. Okay. C, a member of the Manzarine Church, a variety of Baptist church in the South. Ooh. Or D, a strange homemade stringed instrument invented by Phillips himself. Well, if I, um, I think I'm going to say D, the instrument, but that's only because I listened to it and it's such an interesting sound that it ha- that has to be the answer. Well done, Jake. You are correct. Ah. I, was pretty, I was pretty proud. I would have gone. I would have gone with Baptist Church if I didn't yeah, have, had not heard the a, album. There's a Nazarene church that just like right. throws your. Brain it kind of like up. yeah, sticks yeah. in there. Today on Louder Than Sound, we're taking a look at the 2016 compilation Washington Phillips and His Nazarene Dream, which collects Phillips' complete extant works, recorded oh. between 1927 and 1929. Welcome to everyone's favorite show, Louder Than Sound. Our first and only question for the contestants is... What's louder than sound? Theoretical noise particulates from the 15th dimension? What's louder than sound? Uh, nothing, Alex, because of course this is a theoretical question. What's louder than sound? What is two brothers, who are mostly similar, but sometimes dissimilar taste in music, asking each other to listen to and absorb some of their favorite music albums based on idiosyncratic themes that they likewise force each other to consider? That's louder than sound. Welcome to Louder Than Sound, a podcast where two brothers, Jake and Charlie, Hey, I'm Charlie. Oh, hey, and I'm Jake, and uh, we like to talk about music a lot, and we like to do that based on themes, and we like to make each other listen to albums, and so we did a podcast about it. Uh, Today, Charlie is talking about Washington Phillips and his Manzarine Dream, a compilation as he discussed of all of uh, Washington Phillips' extant works, and uh, the theme is pre-1955 recordings. You'll remember that last time we uh, talked to Charlie's friend Tim about uh, a Frank Sinatra album in the wee small hours, and we talked at that time kind of about you know how the album didn't exist really before 1955, and um, it was really kind of taking off in, in the early 50s and especially the late 50s. Um, this time I'm just going to list some of the some of the uh, albums that I was thinking of doing for my part of the podcast, which is next week. Uh, just a few, you know, this was a fun thing to look around for, um, because, uh, when I'm scrolling through my iTunes and stuff like that, I don't, I don't have a lot of albums, um, before the, that were recorded before 1955. No, and and as you mentioned, there just weren't albums. Right. There weren't albums. Before about the late 40s, there just weren't albums, period. So we, we threw in that it was okay if it was a compilation released much later, like this was released in 2016 as a compilation, but all of the recordings were done well before 55. Correct, correct. That's, that's where I came at. So, you know, give, give us your thoughts. I might give us some mind in the next yeah, episode. Yeah, that, that sounds fun. great. So uh, the truth is they're all compilations, basically. Yeah. Um, I was, uh, I, there was an Art Tatum record that I had where he explains in between the songs all about the songs that he wrote. Okay. Um, and they're just, it's great. It's, uh, it's really, really fun. Um, I was going to go with uh, Pete Seeger and the, uh, the song swappers. There's a whole, or the almanac singers. There's a whole like 
pre-1950 folk movement that included Woody Guthrie and others. Um, Sister Rosetta Thorpe, um, who was a uh, gospel singer um, that also played guitar, all, all gospel all the time. Uh, let's see here. Josh White, who was kind of a black um, version simultaneous to Woody Guthrie, a folk singer who was pretty famous. Uh, Woody Guthrie, of course, himself. The Andrews Sisters, who were wildly popular. In the yeah, yeah, they were humongous. They were huge. And I still sing some of their songs in music therapy to people, um, to elderly people. Everybody knows uh-huh. their songs. They were huge. Um, and Harry Parch, who is a oh yeah, a crazy... Speaking of making our own instruments, he made all of yeah. his own instruments, and he yeah, played he wildly experimental music. Um, uh, you know, even by the standards of that day, you know, even pre like John Cage and stuff, he was pretty early uh-huh. on the experimental music train. So those were some of my choices. Um, I didn't choose any of those. We'll get to that at the end of this episode. But in the meantime, Chaz, why don't you tell us a little bit about Washington? Well, are you going to mention the one the one oh. that you did pick? Oh yeah, that's right. We were just talking about this <laughs> off air. That's silly. I was I almost picked, and I, in fact, I did pick it, and then for reasons unknown even to myself, I I, I swapped. But I was going to do. Like I I, uh, even, I listened to it once before you yeah, swapped. Yeah, I was going to do a Carl Sandburg record. What was that one called? Was it just a? The no, Great Carl Sandburg. I think it was just called The Great Carl Sandburg, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. Uh, and Carl Sandburg, of course, was a, a poet of note in the early 20th century. And he also, um, at least, I don't know if he was born in Galesburg, Illinois, where I went to college, or he lived oh, okay. there for some time. But we used to drive past his house. There was like a little museum. So Carl well, he's, Sandburg. He's connected with Illinois. I mean, he, he he, enough that he was mentioned in Sufjan Stevens' uh, exactly. Illinois album. He's, exactly. He's got a reference in there. So we have a uh, in 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 Galesburg, Illinois, where Knox College is. They have a they have a tremendous uh, association with like Abraham Lincoln um, because some of the the debates that Lincoln did were at Knox College, and then uh, Carl Sandburg lived right down the street. For well, what who do knows you know? How long. What do you know about that? So we were going to do that, but we did something different instead. But now, Chaz, now you're going to tell us about Washington Phillips. All right. Well, when we get into Washington Phillips, the, the first thing to, to know is that there isn't that much to know. Mm. Um, I'm actually going to start with somebody else. I'm going to start with a fellow by the name of Frank Walker. Mm. You've heard of Frank Walker at all, Jake? No, not off the top of my head. He was a, he was a talent agent who largely worked with Columbia. And um, he's probably most famous for discovering Hank Williams. He also discovered Bessie Smith. Mm. And some others, those are the two best known. But um, one of the things he's, probably his, he's most famous for as a talent agent with Columbia was he would go out and do these kind of remote recordings and find people out and, and do folk music. And, mm-hmm. and so he helped discover some, some early folk and some country and like the Carter singers came in there, stuff like that. Um, soul and gospel and things like that that were just out, you know. So still a time when people performed and played more instruments or more more music just in general. Like mm-hmm. people just sang and played instruments together more often than we do now. Because there were few recordings. A lot of people, you know, didn't have, even now, didn't have stuff. And there was no TV. Um, there was nothing to no TV. Yeah. Um, a lot of people out where he was probably didn't have radios, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, it's kind of interesting to think about, like, this way of doing it, but he discovered it and a lot of interesting people. So he'd schedule these recordings, these big events in different parts of the country. Um, and this was kind of like, as, as recording became easier to do, a remote recording was a big concept here, was being able to rec- bring out the recording equipment out to somewhere else and do it somewhere else, rather than having to bring these folk artists to New York, where the big studios were. So they'd go out to different parts of the country, they'd announce these events weeks in advance and it advertised all over the place. 
And then uh, he'd be there for, you know, a week or something. Auditions would be held for the first couple days, and then the best of them would be recorded over the next couple days. Okay. Uh, so this happened yearly in Dallas, Texas from 1927 to 1929. Um, it just was those three years, 27, 28, 29. And it's notable that those are the only years in which Washington Phillips recorded anything. Mm, it was 27, I got the connection. So Washington Phillips was a farmer in central Texas. Uh, that was mostly what he did. Um, he was also known to be a, I like this this term, a jackleg preacher. <laughs> so what I learned is that a jack a jackleg preacher mm-hmm. was a guy who you know wasn't like a professional pastor or minister of some kind. It was a guy who would like look for opportunities to preach in different places. And this is you know it's a facet of different churches is is having more amateur preachers or shared pulpit where different people would preach. And, if, you know, and some churches do that a lot, and some churches do not do that at all. Right. But this was a facet. This was something he was involved in. Um, there's really not much else known about him yeah. besides that. He was born in probably 1980, or not in 1880. <laughs> that would be ridiculous. 1880, probably born in 1880, and he died in 1954. There is some confusion because there was another gentleman in the same area of the same name, was born in 1882 and died in, like, 37. What? So the two of them get confused a little bit. They're, like, in the same general area, but, <laughs> you know. I mean, Who knows? millions of people in Texas, even then, you know, it yeah. happens. So there gets to be some confusion there, but the Washington Phillips we're looking at seems to be 1880 to 1954. He died after he fell down a flight of stairs. Oh. And, uh, I mean, at that point, he was 74, so that's not surprising. So Washington Phillips did a total of five recording sessions all in the first week of December in 1927 and 1928 and 1929. So these are like okay. very stressful events. You can see that when you look at it. They're all, all of it. his recording sessions he are didn't, the first week of December. He didn't have access to like Pro Tools or, you know, a nice little, nope, a nice little studio not. mic or anything record, like that. Okay. Record on an iPad. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wow. No, no, no. So he did that. Columbia released these um, total of seven 78s. So it'd be two sided now, two tracks on each mm-hmm. one. Uh, but I have a question for you, Jay, because not all of his songs are extant. So how many songs did he record in his lifetime? It obviously wasn't very many. Do you record A, 8, B, 18, C, 28, or D, 38? <laughs> well, let's see. I mean, without looking at it, I'd say the the collection of songs, even though there's a couple doubles on there, um, is well over eight. What were the choices? Eight, 20, 28, eight, and 30? Eight, 18, 28, 30. Oh, okay. Uh, let's do... I'll try to make it easy. Let's do, let's do 18. You're correct. It is oh, 18. Oh, man. I'm hot. 18 known recordings. Two of them have been lost. The other 16 of them all make it onto this compilation. Uh-huh. Others. So like I said, you released the, they released uh, this by Columbia, a 78s. Um, and it just kind of like, that was it. He clearly was successful enough to, to do a couple more recording sessions. It wasn't like he just did the one in 27 and they're like, Hey, no, thanks. No, thanks. Washington for 28. <laughs> they, they picked him up and recorded him again in 28 and in 29. Yeah. Um, and then they stopped coming to Dallas. So it wasn't like if they came back in 30, they might've recorded him again. I don't know. AWP. Um, so these, these sold something. Um, he kind of dropped it aside of that. Really. I found it. There's some like, there's some Washington Phillips enthusiasts out there, oh, Jake, yeah. which is, it's kind of, it's kind of fun to see this. And so I found one with a list of all, a site with all of his, all of his recordings or all of his known releases of any kind. And it's really not that many, you know, considering that these recordings are almost a hundred years old. 
Um, but he really didn't do anything. There was nothing with him between the late 70s, or late, not late 70s, gosh, I can't talk. Late 20s, he died in 54, keep me in mind. And then in the 60s, he started showing up on uh, various artist compilations. Okay. Um, and that's up through the current day, really. And these are the type of compilations with names like In the Spirit, mm-hmm. Nearer My God to Thee, mm-hmm. Southern Sanctified Singers. Ooh, I like that one. Rubble Done, Bore Me Down, Songsters and Saints, How Can I Keep From Singing? Yeah. You, you know what kind of music he plays just from hearing the names yeah. of these compilations. You do. You do. <laughs> it's a Southern spiritual old record, old, you know, public domain recordings. You just know from those names exactly yeah. what this is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's just a, a fraction of them. He's shown up on a whole heck of a lot of them. His first solo compilation was in 1980. It was called Denomination Blues, which is the name of one of the songs on there. Um, and that featured all 16 of his known recordings. And it's been basically that same thing has showed up on four or five other compilations of his own work, including I'm Born to Preach the Gospel, What Are They Doing in Heaven Today, mm-hmm. The Key to the Kingdom, which is all actually was still in print when ours from 2016, right. Washington Phillips' Answering Dream came out. So there are two copies of the same thing in print. Key of the Kingdom puts a couple of tracks from completely unrelated singers at the end of it for some reason. Sure, why which not? Which feels like a weird choice a when you have sweetener. like 16, 16 Washington Phillips tracks and three by somebody else. I don't know why you do that, but you got a full album here, baby. You know? I mean, the name the the name should just be 16 tracks by Washington Phillips and three by somebody else. <laughs> well, when we re-release the sweet, sweet public domain treasures to... Uh, <laughs> An ever thirsty customer base for exactly the same thing again. Oh man! Well, this one, this one got some. Uh, this compilation got some pub. Like that it was. Did. Well, I, mean, this I, had, I, I had heard about it. Bastard. And they released. Now I, I still stu- stupidly when I bought it, I just bought the digital version because the, uh, the CD version is pretty pricey because it came in a seventy-two page book. Oh nice! But of course, while I, uh, while I was researching this uh, this podcast, I really wish I had that sweet baby. You know, seventy-two page book. It, you'll appreciate this, Jake. That, that reissue was nominated for not one, but two Grammys. Oh, man. That's the highest honor it can receive. You know, <laughs> nothing better than that. Best contemporary old folk religious album <laughs> with a 72-page booklet. <laughs> Can't believe you didn't win that. <laughs> Unbelievable. Gosh. Stiff Unbelievable. competition that year. Stiff competition. <laughs> uh, but, you know, this is all... It's all within this gospel tradition, very religious songs and very uh, old recordings and eh, interesting that way. But I don't want to get too much into that. No. So before we go that way, Jake, I'll be trading things over to you real soon to hear your thoughts. But first, here are my thoughts on your thoughts. Mm, which you don't know what they Oops. are. So it's kind of like a pr- I don't know, premonition of my thoughts. It's my thoughts and your thoughts. Mm-hmm. Ahead of time. Which you don't know. So I am guessing that you will enjoy the soulful singing and true folk styling. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I'm gonna. I'm guessing you're gonna like the unpretentious, sincere lyrics and mm-hmm. singing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna guess that you can feel the fact that this is a compilation of all of his extant works and therefore <laughs> never intended to be set as one album. No, no, no. no. It can feel. It's not that long. It's like 53 minutes. Yeah, but it that... can feel a little long. It can feel a little samey. Yeah. This wasn't. It wasn't written or recorded to be like this. It was recorded to be two songs at a time. If you listen to two of these songs at a time, you'd never feel like, oh, that was too long. No. You're like, oh, two songs. That wasn't long enough. More like <laughs> more like that, Jake, is what I'm saying. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> but I think overall you're going to like it. I think you're going to give it a 1.5. All righty, all right. Well, uh, And reminding the viewers and the listeners at home that we work on a unique negative five to plus five uh, 
scale. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 1.5 is pretty, it's pretty mm-hmm. solid. Spoiler alert, I will not be giving this a negative 5. So just know that going in. Yeah, no, I, I can't imagine what you would give a negative 5 to. I can't, I can't imagine either. Uh... Something with absolutely no redeeming qualities whatsoever. Like I don't know what that would be. Oh, there's got to be something. I, I just don't have I don't have time, you know, or space in my heart to listen to unredeeming albums. You know, no, unredeemable like albums. One hundred percent unredeeming. Albums. Well, yeah, I don't know what that would be. <laughs> uh, on our old podcast, I gave at least one Dylan album like a negative four point five. I was so mad. Yeah, I got as I got as down as far as I'm getting a three point five. Yeah, yeah, which is pretty bad. Anyway, we're not talk, we're not talking about that right now. We're no, talking we're about not. we're talking about the fact that I think that this album, the Washington Phillips one, um, it sounds very ethereal and interesting, and it definitely mm-hmm. sounds unique. Um, I'm a little bit of a not a total nerd about this because you know total nerds about like old black gospel, uh, you know pre 1940 recordings, field recordings. Like those people are really nerdy. Like I'm yeah. not oh, that yeah. nerdy, but I definitely have a couple of <laughs> not those. About this. Other things, sure, but other not, things, not this, sure. Not this one specific thing. No, but you know, I'm a, I'm like in the lower middle class of nerdery when it comes to this <laughs> stuff. Like I have a couple of these compilations. I've won a really excellent one called Fire in My Bones, which is like a three CD compilation of okay. old scratchy recordings um, of gospel singers, field recordings, and such like that. Um, and of is course, Washington I, Phillips in there? He might be. I should have looked. I okay, that looked. one doesn't sound familiar. Like I, I don't think that was on the the, uh, the site that I found. But you know, no, and that, gonna, that one covers that That's one covers possible. a pretty big swath of years. So I don't know. I mean, the thing is, these days, as you were alluding to, like with this stuff in the public domain, like you know, there's nobody left to own the rights to some of this stuff. They could it just no. just be passed around from here to there. No. Well, and it's all, you know, it's all pre. Yeah. And there's, yeah. um, there's record labels that specialize in this sort of thing. Like Tom, oh, yeah. Tompkins Square is one of them that does reissues of, of old music. Anyway, um, I think this is unique even within that world because of his mm. homemade instrument. Um, I do agree that it sounds a little samey at times, but, um, you, you kind of explain, you kind of explain that, why that would be. Um, while I was listening to it, I could not help but be reminded of a really good book I read one time. Um, it's Amanda Petrusik's Do Not Sell at Any Price, which is about the insane nerds who populate the world of um, the 78. Um, trying, okay. to, trying to find the really old 78s in people's, uh, you know, uh, attics. Attics and garages There's and stuff. Yeah. Attics, garages, like lost 78s that are on shellac, which is what they used to make them out of. And that are also playable on 78 players yeah. are like worth thousands upon tens of thousands of dollars a piece. And so, and they're around, like people find them all the time, you know. And well, so there was, I don't know if you remember our, our grandfather, Grandpa Beck. Good old had, G. Had, and I remember there was a stack of 78s in one of his old right. outbuildings. And we all kind of looked at it and like vaguely wanted them, but didn't know why. And, you know. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think, I think and somebody... We were all, I mean, we were young. I was 10 when he died, so, yeah. like... Somebody, I think, determined that but those... those just show up in places, you right. know, these old stuff. It's just, right. they just show up in stacks, usually, unprotected stacks in somebody's yeah. garage. And, and shellac, I mean, the, what they used to make these things out of didn't does not hold up well, so... Yeah. It has to be in, like, a perfect uh, environment, you know, if it's going to be, like... Mm-hmm. If they're not going to be in a nice place, they're just going to get ruined, and they melt together, mm-hmm. and they do all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, and so I was thinking of this Washington Phillips thing and I was thinking about that book. Um, and she was saying in that book, one of the most interesting parts I thought was how much more like ethereal and eerily present Mm -hmm. this type of gospel blues music sounds on the old shellac and the old players that they were created for, because they're not created for digital transfer. Um, Pratusik says as much personally in her book, 
um, that she visited one of these guys that had a bunch of these, and they, you know, she listened to one of these Holy Grail recordings. There's a couple of them. I can't remember who, which artist mm-hmm. it was, that are worth, you know, a hundred thousand bucks a piece or whatever. Um, and guys won't sell them because they like to listen to them um, more than they like having a hundred thousand dollars, which is kind of crazy. <laughs> Which I, I'm a music nerd, but if I had anything worth $100,000, I don't yeah. care what it is. I'm let's, selling that baby. Let's get that baby right out. Now. You know, I'll pop. Right now. I'll, pop, I'll have a little pop-up stand. I'll buy $100,000 $1 records instead. Let's have a little pop-up stand in our driveway for that. <laughs> we'll watch them come running. But she was saying that the experience of, of listening to a song, I presumably like Washington Phillips, on the 78, on shellac, was like a magical experience. Like it was transformative. Um, so I was, I was listening to, to Washington Phillips and thinking, man, I would love to be listening to it right this second, you know, on an old 78 player or whatever, and not on Apple music. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel like there's a spiritual element, especially with the gospel that kind of goes missing a little bit. Um, like when you know, and I don't know if you feel this way sometimes about albums, um, but since I'm, I'm splitting my time between um, buying, purchasing music on vinyl and purchasing on CD, mm-hmm. you just sort of like, you look at an album or you think about it and you just know, you know, this ought to be a vinyl record, this ought to be a CD. I and, do know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's, it's kind of spiritual. I, I was a little late it's a little to the vinyl game, but this, this year I've been getting into vinyl a little bit more. And yeah. there, you know, I have my list of songs I, or albums I want to own on vinyl. And it's not always even like my all-time favorite albums. No. It's just certain albums for some reason, like... That one. That's that the, one needs right. I need to own. Right. Vinyl. Even new ones. I don't know why. Even new ones sometimes are like, that's yep. a vinyl record. Yep. And so I was thinking of this and I thought, well, this is a 78 for sure. Um, that having been said, you know, about about the experience of listening to it and not and not having it be as magical as you know it probably could have been. Um, I really love, as you said, this type of folk music and uh, especially Christian spiritual gospel types. Um, and there's a couple of classic and well-worn songs on here. I mean, obviously, there's like "What a Friend We Have in Jesus," which is a yes, which is a classic. Um, Gillian Welch does a, a really nice version um, of "I Had a Real Good Mother and Father," which you know that's one of those songs I would have heard in college or post-college okay. and not known it was super old because she's she's good at kind of blending those those things. Well, and he did. He wrote most of these songs. He, he did. Wrote three, did he? he did he write, wrote that wrote that three, he probably wrote three quarters of them. I think he did write that one. Oh, okay, cool. Well, that makes that and makes. And there's probably like the last quarter R, yeah. Yeah, that makes it even cooler. Jesus is the most famous song, I would think, but. Um, Abigail Washington and Bela Fleck um, do "What Are They Doing in Heaven Today" on one of mm-hmm. their albums, and I, I like that one. And some of the songs are just darn good advice, like "The Church Needs Good Deacons." I just think that's good. <laughs> that's good advice, you know. <laughs> just, just solid advice. Yeah. Um, and I and you and you're right. I really did respond well to how earnestly he was. He does some preaching in there, mm-hmm. like hey, that's for real. You know, that's not. But it also doesn't. He he doesn't. He manages to not be judgmental. At the no, same he's time. just pre- he's just preaching. Even when he's even when he's being judgmental. Yeah. Like in denomination blues. <laughs> yeah, denomination. Yeah, totally. Um, but he, I, I just you know you can tell that that's how he really felt. Like that was his yep. that was his spirituality. I love Jack Leg Preacher. That's I want to be a Jack Leg Preacher. <laughs> Get me out there. Go for it, Jake. Um, the sound of the the music is thin and scratchy, obviously, uh, but pleasing. You know, it sounds that's kind of mm-hmm. a genre unto itself. And his uh, and his little homemade instrument, the mandolin, really is a wonder. It sounds kind of like a harp, and an auto harp, and like a dulcimer, and sometimes like a piano at times. Mm-hmm. Um, it rings out and fills the space of where a piano or a more full-bodied guitar would be surprisingly well, and gives the music that mysterious quality. Um, I can see why people keep unearthing and being struck by his music and why they keep shoving all of his songs on all these compilations all the time and why they receive attention. 
So I love some, I love me some good old gospel, and this is as fine example as any. So I give it a two point zero out of five. Yeah, I liked it. I liked it, and I re-listened to it a second time today while I was uh, doing the dishes. And the first four or five songs are those are good. Those are really good. Yeah. It was really enjoyable. I mean, on the back end, it's just kind of. You know, it gets a little samey, as we've said, but that's... I was going to say, it's, it'd be different if yeah. you, like, listen to half of it and then, you know, start up and track nine again the next day. Yeah, yeah. You just yeah. you just get, yeah. Yeah, but you, you got to forget what sets the songs apart, you know, at the yeah. beginning. And so, but I thought, I thought, I thought it was really yeah. good. Or I, if you had I this in, in a stack of 78s and had to flip it for every single song, you'd mm-hmm. be a little more into it, yep. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, that ended right, nice. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to head out and get a, an old 78 player, some shellac. Yeah. Cool. You know? I would like you to know that I have an old record player that does play 78s. It probably would destroy them all, but it does. Oh, it plays old? I have, this, I have this old one that was, you know, from one of the old libraries I worked at. Yeah. We were getting rid of it, and it's like one of those designed to play everything. So it'll play uh, 45s and 33s and 78s, and it'll even play uh, 17s. I 17s. didn't even... 17s? What? Yeah, there's this... I read a little about this recently. We won't get into it, but... You know, that thing is going Best slow nuts. at that point. It is slow. <laughs> and, the, and the sound quality is, so, is you know, awful on those. I guess they were mostly for, like, background music and offices and something. Because you could fit, like, an hour on the side. Yeah, so much. Nice. And you'd have it so low that it, the, the poor quality wouldn't, you know... Because the faster the speed of the record, the better the sound quality. Correct, yeah. So you wouldn't, it, it'd be back, it'd be such background music that you wouldn't know how low uh, quality the recording is. So well, I've never come across one of those, but I could play it if I wanted to. <laughs> I've never even heard of that. That sounds like if you, uh, if you dropped a needle on a rotating restaurant, you know? Yeah, yeah. Just nice yeah, and, basically. nice and easy. Nice and easy. Hey, take it easy, everyone. 33? So Whoa, way too fast. That's a really bad, you know, that, that would like, I don't play my good records on that because it would just destroy them. The kids yeah. use it most of the time. It's one of those little like inbox with the speakers oh, attached sure, sure, to it, sure. like portable ones, but it's a perfect old library one. Anyway. Right on. Um, so I'm going to talk first about the Manzarine. Okay, let's do it. Um, and, and this is one of those things, again, like I found, I went down the rabbit hole a little bit on these guys who are really interested in these different varieties of stringed instruments and have these like really spirited debates about what he's actually playing and what he has. And so I found some of them because this Manzarine idea only came up in 2016 by the guy who put together this compilation. Um, otherwise, it's just been debated for years as to what this thing actually was. Oh, there is a, a picture of him holding some big, crazy instruments that looks kind of like two fretless zithers that are like attached to each other in some way, like Frankenstein together into one instrument. Um, and so there's been a little, a lot of debate over the years as what these things actually are, because they weren't identical instruments either. They were similar, but not identical. Okay. Uh, the term Manzarine comes from, there was a newspaper article on Earth from 1907. Just keep in mind, that's 20 years before these recordings. Yeah. Of Washington Phillips uh, with, I don't know if there's a picture of him with an instrument, but it, it in this article, it describes it as, he, said, he describes the instrument, calls it a Manzarine, this homemade instrument. So I think it's, you know, Notable to think about if this is still the same instrument by the late, you know, 20 years later when you yeah. recorded this. If it's a new version of that same instrument, if it's a completely different instrument entirely, I don't know. But there's a lot of debate about that and what this actually is, and it's interesting. Wow. But it does have kind of like this harp-like quality. And it's, yeah, it's interesting. It's clearly a stringed instrument of some kind. It's the only accompaniment on all of 16 of these songs. Right. It's just that, just him and that, and that's the only thing for all of them. Um. So, like you said, it's, it does have this kind of ethereal quality. It almost feels like kind of ambient-like at times. 
Hmm. And a lot of this music you listen to, and I don't listen to a ton of this. I'm not as well-versed with it as you are. But a lot of it you listen to it, you know, like, I was listening to some Bessie Smith the other day. I like Bessie Smith. Um, and you could just kind of see in there the seeds of a lot of jazz and a lot of blues and a lot of rock, like, mm-hmm. in there. You could see how this became other things. But I listen to Phillips, and I don't, I don't feel those same connections as to what came afterwards. And that was, I read in one... In a, a uh, review of this compilation saying that they felt like it he was more the father of some kinds of ambient and more gentle music and i can hmm. kind of see that a little bit okay it's been has a very it's a very lovely calm sound i don't know yeah it's very simple soulful singing exclusively religious lyrics direct sincere unpretentious gospel music um he calls out hypocrisy but he's not judgmental he's got a lot of like uh i like that he comes up in a couple songs where he talks about you know you don't have Jesus or something, you're, you know, you could know all this stuff, but you don't have Jesus, you're an educated fool. Like, <laughs> yeah. Educated fool. So when we were repackaged these songs, these tracks for no reason yeah. today, we tried to sell them. Let's call our compilation Educated Fool. What educated do you say? Fool. Yeah, but then we'd be accusing him of that, and that's not... Uh... Maybe it's just like, you're an educated fool. Yeah, like... Unless, unless you buy this album. <laughs> <laughs> and after that, you're, you're good. After that, you're good. educated, not fool. Congratulations. The flow is real nice there. <laughs> Real easy, like. Like uh, I said before, this doesn't naturally flow like an album because it was never intended to be an album. It mm. isn't an album. It's 16 tracks that he recorded in the order they were recorded. Uh, mm. That's it. So it can feel seamsy. But um, like we mentioned, I, I got to a point, I try to do this with el- older albums, especially ones that were ones that were recorded for vinyl. There's a clear break for the songs. Mm-hmm. And there's like a thematic, you know, the albums are, are structured that way. Um, so when I'm listening to them even digitally, I try to take a little break, like where that would have been. Um, this is a little bit different, but even then, I try to listen to them as like a 78 at a time, um, and then just take a little break in between while I was doing all this. And it, it they they fit together nicely. There's multiple two part songs. I think there's three different two part songs if I remember okay. that would have been released on 178, mm. you know, for each track. And it's more or less like a long song but two versions of it. Yeah. Um, he's got a lot of you know it's kind of hymn like. There's a lot of uh, this was a term that I discovered and i forgot to write it down i was oh. interested you probably know the term jake i you know, like new terms you got that music degree and yeah that's oh, just, no. uh, oh don't don't put me on the spot with that yeah well that I guy's am. about 20 years old now <laughs> Ooh. yeah Ooh. <laughs> uh well if i come up with it i'll just you know i'll oh. just belt it out at some point at three in the morning but it's that it's how the you know, songs are when it's the same music for the, both the verse and the chorus it goes back and forth. It's the same. Oh, it's musically oh, oh. the same for both. Right, but it's got different different melodies, or not? Well, no, I don't know. Never mind. I was proud of this term. I don't know. I, I was enjoying it and using it in my head because who has a chance to actually talk about this very often? <laughs> not very often, Jake. You know, call call me back tonight when you wake up screaming in the middle of the night like pizzicato. Yeah, yeah I will. I will. Your wife's gonna. It's be. not pizzicato. I know what that means. <laughs> Staccato. <laughs> But I overall really like this, and I, I do listen to it regularly. I've had this uh, you know, since 2016 when it came out, and I, I just enjoy it. Um, and so I've given it a three. I really okay. like this. It just, yep, it just hits me just right, and I listen to this. Yeah. It feels very different than most of the music I listen to, but I like it a lot. Well, I do have to say I remember I remember that you, when you became interested in this, and I was a little yeah. surprised because by then Yeah, I no, was, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem like something I would no. normally I was kind of like, well, that's, into, that's my lane, Chaz. You're trying to horn in here, and I don't, every I don't once appreciate in a while, it. Something comes along where I'm like, hey, that sounds cool. 
Okay. Strophic form. Strophic form. Oh, strophic it. form. There it is. There, there it go. is. Strophic. Thanks, Thanks everybody. Thank hey. you for, for being patient <laughs> and listening to me talk about strophic form. No, thank you. And uh, I think this. Uh, I think this pod. The more you know, Jake. The more you know. Bum, 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 bum. I think this. Uh, this podcast is strophic form because it just sounds, it's just two guys rattling on in, but we're saying different things, but it sounds exactly the same. This is our strophic form podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, next time on the, on Louder Than Sound, we are going to be talking. The next strophic, the, stro- the next verse of Louder Than Sound will be about. Oh, the never ending strophic form song. A lot of 78s here. They're going to be pressed on the shellac. Uh, we're going to be doing my pick for uh, uh, albums that uh, or songs recorded before 1955, which is the uh, Roy Acuff, who had a compilation come out in 1964 called The Great Roy Acuff. Um, and so we're going to get a little bit, uh, both, both these albums that we're talking about, both uh, Phillips and Acuff, they're both country music, believe it or not, but they don't sound anything the same. So that'll be an interesting conversation. And before we go, I just have to say one more thing about the, uh, that book that I mentioned, The Do Not Sell at Any Price. Um, one of the hooks of the book is apparently like in the Allegheny River or something in Pittsburgh. I might be getting that wrong. There is a holy grail. There's a treasure trove, a legendary treasure trove of 78s that apparently are buried at the bottom of the river. And so pretty much on the regs, like people will come and get on their diving gear, even though it's freezing cold, and they'll go down there and look for these records. Um, it's kind of a thing. And uh, no one has found them yet. So if you, uh, audience, want to go look for those, don't go to the don't go to Pittsburgh. I don't think it was there, but um, why don't you go find those? And next time you'll find us on Louder Than Sound. So long.